When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Barry Castanola, the host of the brand new Euro 2020 panel show quiz series, Never Write Off the Germans, featuring a plethora, 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 don't know, never said it before. Anyway, loads of your favourite comedians discussing the Euros. We've not had a sticker album since I was eight. You must have had some triples and quadruples. Yeah, I, got, I had a lot of Considines. There was a lot of Scott McTominays. I could make a team of Scott McTominays, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it. No, what you should do is you should get all your Scott McTominays, stick them on your spare room wall, and then invite them round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and having to answer some trivia and tricky football-related questions along the way. In one word, each of you, how would you describe... Robbie Savage's hair. Unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) So search and subscribe to Never Write Off the Germans from wherever you get your podcasts from. Does it bother anyone else? It's called Euro 2020 and it's 2021. I mean, it wouldn't have taken much, would it? Just a bit of a redesign on the branding. Tottenham, Welcome to another episode of Top Ten Tottenham. Uh, with me, Mike Lee. I'm joined by a, a gentleman who's been on the Spurs show many times, so I'm delighted that he's come on uh, this show during the close season. The football writer and author, his last book was the wonderful book, uh, looking back at the history of White Hart Lane. If you if you missed it when it came out, I'm sure it's available on Amazon still. Go and get that, all you Spurs fans. I'm joined by Martin Lipton. How are you, Martin? I'm extremely well, Michael. Yes, very well indeed. Good. Are you all ready for the Euros? We're recording this just before the Euros start. Are you working professionally on the Euros? I, I will be. I, I, because of uh, UEFA COVID restrictions, there's limited accreditation. So I'm not going to be going to any games, but I will be involved and discussing things with, with UEFA and others as the tournament goes on. And 
doing bits and bobs about England and other things as, as it happens. So I'm going to be, I'll be involved with that actually being at games, which has basically been my my life for the last 18 months because I've yeah. not seen a match ever. Who, who you'll be writing for? You're still doing stuff with the Sun? I'm still the chief sports reporter yeah. at the Sun, yeah. So yeah, that's my, exactly. my main role. Because the 96 champ, because everyone sees this, I, mean, I know it's officially not, but it's effectively, you know, a home uh, championship almost. Uh, 96, was that the first tournament you you worked on yeah it was actually uh so i was covering england then for the first association and i was uh, ghosting a young man called gareth southgate oh were you yeah i can't remember what happened to him (laughs) oh my that must have been an interesting last article it was interesting Uh, it was let me be fair he was brilliant all the way through uh, and he's a he's a thoroughly decent chap in every sense he's uh and i think he's shown himself you may not agree with the stance he's taken but you can't deny the the character of the man in taking stance and explaining his position on issues and i think that's what's there's always been part of the core of gareth southgate actually is essentially an extremely decent human being mm. i'm interested i mean i must admit being a tottenham fan and then having more disappointments as an england fan i've kind of zoned out of tournaments a while back but obviously like most fans that last world cup got re-excited again you know winning penalty shootouts and then not playing that well against croatia do you, i mean and again the bookies have got us a lot of bookies have got us like joint favorites do, I mean, do you do you think we've got a hope in hell of actually winning it well the home advantage is massive no question that normally gets you a semi-final spot if you're any good england have got the best array of attacking players i've seen in a very long time but there's big questions about the defense are they better than France and Spain and Italy? I'm not so sure. Are they as good as Croatia and Belgium and Germany? Probably. Um, but it's a tough path because if they win the group, they play the runner-up in the Germany-France-Portugal group. Arguably, it's better to um, to come second in the group, play probably Sweden or Slovakia or Poland, and then meet France in the quarters, um, which is the path that England took you know, in the World Cup. By coming second in their group, they got a softer run through to the semis of course that would mean giving up home advantage in the last 16 do you want to do that probably not so yeah uh, swings around about isn't it yeah exactly well look, let's look at your top 10 Tottenham some wonderful choices here a lot of them which are like sort of very personal to you rather than maybe certain games that everyone will universally remember and uh, we're going to start with your first one fun of it's the, the same year I think it was also my first game at White Hart Lane. Your first game at White Hart Lane, and not a bad game to to as a as a debut. Back to as a far. It finished Tottenham Hotspur four, Stoke City three, and let's listen now to the goals uh, from John Pratt and Alan Gilzine. Coach running well for it as well, and Stoke in a little bit of trouble there. Gilzine, and then nodded back by Pedrick as far as Banks, and it doesn't get to him. In the headline goal. Stoke hesitated, Pratt made no mistake, lurking on the edge of that six-yard area, terrible hesitancy there in the Stoke defence, and Pratt got up above them all, and Spurs go ahead with three and a half minutes gone. Played wide again to Pratt. And across this time to Gilsey! with a lovely cross again from the right eluding those Stoke City defenders and Gilzine that 
master of the header. There to finish it off and make it 2-0. Do, do you have any memory of this game? Or do you think have finding it again on YouTube kind of helped you go? I have a vague memory of it. All I could remember was going to the game until about two years ago. Going to my first game with my dad, standing on the shelf to the right-hand side of halfway if you were looking at the main stand. Uh, that was it. And the pitch being so green and the sun being out. That's all. It was just that memory of going to football rather than the game. So I was, I was actually really surprised to see that it had been on the big match. It was a, a game that was shown us. That, so that's why it's on YouTube and because it's there. So that was evidence that I wasn't making it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your, I mean, was your father then a diehard Spurs fan? How many generations has going to Spurs go back for you and your family? Um, I don't know whether his father was a fan because his father died when my father was six. Oh, wow. So, okay. Uh, and we are a family of uh, Lithuanian, Latvian refugee immigrants landed in, actually bizarrely, in Gateshead in the okay. 1890s. Well, it was a big, big, big to, Jewish community in Gateshead. Yeah, came yeah. down to East London, uh, or North London, actually, sort of Stamford Hill area uh, in, in the 30s. He grew up in that area, Stamford Hill, Hackney, around and about. Uh, the Jewish background, obviously, saying which was, was critical in that way. And Spurs with a low, with a team, and he went. You know, he's lucky he saw them win the league. Unfortunately, mm. I haven't. Um, so he'd have been 15 in '61, and I grew up with him telling me about that Tottenham team that he remembered when he was a kid. And to be fair, he was a kid when he had me because he was only 19, 20. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, my mum was, you know, a year younger. They were both very, they were both children. Um, and so, and I'm the oldest of four. So he would have been, I guess, in his, he started taking me, he should have been in his early mid-20s um, when, I, when he took me to that game. I was just about six coming up to my sixth birthday. Um, and it was... It was a rite of passage for me to, to go to football. And um, uh, apparently my mother's father took me to see the other lot when I was two. <laughs> but I have no memory of that, and I don't believe it happened. <laughs> I'm not having it. Quite right. Um, but that was it. I, my dad was a Spurs fan. He stopped. He, he, he used to take me up to the age of about 14, 15, and then he stopped going. And he now lives in the States, and he watches more football now than he ever did because every game obviously if you're in the States is live on on telly and he can watch every game and he's become more of a fan now than he was for quite some period I think you go out in and out of it but at that point he was still going I wouldn't say every because he was still playing on Hackney Marshes on a Sunday morning and he I used, he used to take me to four or five games a season and that was enough for me and I remember I, I, I've, I've watched games in all parts of the ground so you know both ends both sides Terraces in the seats behind um, the standing areas that uh, they used to have up on the on the shelf, all over the place uh, at the old at, the, at White Hart Lane, and, and he was the reason I went. And he took me because I couldn't go on my own at that age. Without him, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the story of, of, of many of us. And what? How old do you think you were when you sort of? became obsessed by it like a lot of us the sort of encyclopedic kind of memory of it and obviously which went into your professional career i mean not many people can sort of say i got the bug so much i now wanted to write about this professionally it, i think it was probably it was the year they nearly got relegated two years before they did right um the famous leeds game that yeah, season yeah i wrote about it in the book that i kept them up that <laughs> season because they were in trouble and we were in the 
front room of the house we lived in in Walthamstow. So on the Walthamstow Leighton borders. And he said to me in the house, if you score this penalty, they'll stay up. And it pinged in off the inside of the radiator. <laughs> and he died full end to try and save the blessed thing. And and that went in and we stayed up. So obviously I take the credit. Nothing yeah. to do with Alfie Khan or yeah. anybody else. Exactly. Uh, and it was that was it really. I got into I, you know, because of course in uh, the next uh, one of my selection was we're seeing them winning a, a tro- first trophy. Well, yeah, it was, it was Ralph Coates. I mean, yeah, later on that season. First, I mean, again, I'm at the same age. I don't have a memory of it. I don't have a memory. I do of, remember that. That's amazing because, because I remember. I remember watching these. My no, I don't. And the '73 Cup final was uh, Sunderland, wasn't it? Now, my first memory of a big game on TV was the '74 Cup final. Liverpool I'm Newcastle. Arsenal Leeds. Yeah, the, don't um, remember it. Alan Clark funny. Header. Yeah. Past Jeff Barnett. Yeah. We got colour TV that year. Right, for the I Olympics, see. really. So that was why before it had been black and white, we got a first colour TV. People won't believe this. They didn't. They a there were three channels, and they didn't have colour TVs. This, this is the whole. You know, the world now is completely different. But back in the early seventies, that was that was reality. Um, and he got a t- two tickets. He stood behind the goal. Uh, the memory I have actually is that most of the Spurs fans were absolutely thrilled when John Frack got substituted and injured in the first half. Don't know what I mean, he was like the. You know, every Spurs team for many years had a player that, every, that all the fans hated. And John Fratt was that player for a couple of years. It then tended to become the left-back who, who was filling the Cyril Knowles void forever. Yeah. But <laughs> John Gorman was another one. He, he, it wasn't his fault. He was quite decent, but he wasn't yeah. Cyril Knowles, you know, and yeah, all these yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, and it was at my end, I was behind the goal where Coach scored. Wow. And... Uh, you know, I was again six, seven, a kid, but with my dad watching Spurs win a, a medal, win a, win a trophy. And in those days, the League Cup was massive; it was huge. Yes. And then absolutely. the next season, I saw the home games against both uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and Lokomotiv Leipzig in the UEFA Cup, but I didn't get to the final because that's why we didn't win the final because I wasn't at the game. You see, absolutely. if I'd been there, it would yeah. have been two-two. It'd been four-two. We'd have won the game. Held out, held out in Rotterdam. So it's, it's it's all these things you see. I Absolutely, really very very important part of all our success or failure in that period. Let, let's listen to that goal, the great Ralph Coates goal. Let's listen to that now. To Perryman, that might uh, give Spurs a bit of encouragement now. Forbes under a lot of pressure now from Chivers, but he's again sticking to it well and saves the corner. Tottenham's throw though, and I think it'd probably be a long one by Chivers. He was already there on the spot. And again, Mike England's going forward. Again, a lower one. Chivers with a back heel. Now Mike England hoping to get in. Coates hoping to blast it in. And Coates has done it. Now Coates. A beautiful shot by Coates. And again, the long throw has put Norwich in trouble. Nodded out. And finally coming to Ralph Coates. With 18 minutes left, the substitute scores a cracking goal. So, did you, do you remember your kind of first night game? Do you remember how old you were when you, I mean, you mentioned the Leeds, were you at the Leeds game, the 4-2? No, I wasn't there. I wasn't oh, right, there. yeah. I, I only found out by being, listening to the radio, as you did, Radio right. 2 in those days. And yes. Was, so, I can't remember what the first night game was. I definitely remember those two UEFA Cup games against Frankfurt and, no, Cologne rather, not Frankfurt, Cologne. 
and uh, and like Leipzig in '74. So it could have been one of those. But mm. of course, you know, so many afternoon games were night games when they started at three o'clock in the winter because it was dark by the time you left. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's that that period and at that time. So we're talking mid seventies. We're still in Walthamstow. And when he when he couldn't take me to Spurs, I would troop down to Sea Orient on my own. I and I was up to nine ten. I walked. We only lived a mile down Oliver Road from Orient, on, on just off the Leighton High Road. And I used to troop down to Orient and watch them. Can you imagine the a nine ten year old doing that now, just wandering very, down? It was thirty five pence to stand behind the gun, forty <laughs> pence in the covered area, covered side of Orient. You know, it's a different world. It really is. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't take. You wouldn't let a nine-year-old go to a football no. match on his own now. Of course, you wouldn't. But no. that was a, a more innocent age, a different age. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and you know, it was. It was. I, I used to go. I said four or five times a season with him. And then when I got to thirteen, fourteen, I we moved out to Essex, and I'd get on the train from Wickford to Liverpool Street. As a couple of us, me and my mate, would, would go, and we'd stand behind the goal. Or on the shelf or whatever, you know, and I saw so I saw quite a lot of games in the 81 season. I remember we played Coventry, didn't we? Yes, in the now. FA Cup was on the left Fifth hand round. side of the shelf for that one. Yeah. Um that was lovely then. You just used to pitch up, make sure you got a bit early and just wandering. If you got in the at door. one o'clock, you you have your, your pick of, of, of yeah. places to watch, you get there yeah. early. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got a bit older, there was this the members club. I don't know if you remember that in the in the mid eighties and you paid what well, it was three quid a year and it gave you, uh, and the members enclosure was at Paxton road, mm-hmm. which was behind the goal. So you could get a bit later because there was a, it was, you know, you knew you'd get in and it also gave you a guarantee of a cup final ticket. And of course in 87, there was a cup final to, to go to. So that was money well spent. I was at that point, I was away at university mm. and I would, in 87, I would get on the train, I'd leave Oxford at 12 o'clock and just about get there in time to kick off. It was, uh, and, it was yeah. and it was just, I, I'd love doing it. And it was, for me, it was, a, again, it, football was something I did as an escape from other things in my life, uh, which were school, working on the local market with my uncle in, in Essex, and then at university, it was a, a strange environment for me as a you know a comprehensive schoolboy from Essex and pretty working class finding myself in this remarkable institution where I I I managed to spend three years drinking too much playing sport and failing with women which is <laughs> story. What did you start? What did you study there? Yeah, English, English. Oh wow, amazing! Uh, and it was a fantastic experience for me. And the, the mates I met there are the ones uh who, who are still with you know still friends of mine now and from all walks of life all parts of the country it happened to be a pretty state school college mm, right 65 uh, state school which right. was huge in those days yeah absolutely uh, and it was deliberate they, they went out to try and attract bright young things from you know, unusual non-oxbridge background and also the odd idiot who slipped through the net like me yeah. um, <laughs> to, uh, to bulldozed me away and I still don't know how and uh, and 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 fit that so it's brilliant but football was a way of of you know I play sport all the time but going to Spurs took me out of that environment for just that after Saturday afternoon to get away from the sort of intense intellectual educational feel of it just go and watch football 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and your second, uh, sorry, your third moment, one that uh, is pretty much on everyone's list. I mean, it's amazing. You said you went the 73 cup final. You wouldn't have known. I mean, the you know, UEFA, UEFA 74 aside, you wouldn't have realised it'd be eight years until you watch Spurs again at Wembley. Uh, and I've said on previous shows, I was very, very lucky in the first lockdown. Did a great show with Steve Perman. We went through every round of this 81 cup run um culminating in the finals we were dreadful in the first game lucky to even get to the replay but none of us will forget this moment from Ricky Villa Villa. and still Ricky Villa what a fantastic run he scored amazing goal by Ricky Villa The big man from Argentina went round one, two, three. Joe Corrigan came to block and Villa squeezed it in. As we see it again from behind the goal, just look how many players he twisted and turned past. And then got his shot in. What was your moment? That, uh, what was your memory of, of, of that game and, and that goal? Where were you Where were you sitting or standing? Can you remember? there. Uh, didn't didn't go ticket. to the final. Uh, did you go to the first watched, game? Watched or? Both games. Watched uh, both games at home with my dad. Uh, he couldn't get a ticket or didn't want or whatever it was. You know, I couldn't afford it. You do what your dad does, don't you? You know, it's like, so I was hoping he was going to pull out, out of his pocket, but he didn't. So, but I remember, remember the first game because even though we weren't very good, Joe Kogan was man of the match. So we can't have been that bad. He made a lot of saves and Spurs were knocking on the door and then, you know, the flute goal off Hutchison to get in the replay. And then that, that that game itself, because obviously that the, the image of, of a broken Villa walking off to be replaced by Gary Brook, I think, in the first game, everyone assumed he'd be left out. He started in Thursday night replay, uh, so four days after the final. First attack Spurs score. McKenzie scores that incredible equaliser for City straight away. They get the slightly dodgy penalty, which Reeves put away. We look like we're going to lose. And then out of nothing, the, the you know the ball from Hoddle and stabbed home by Garth Crooks for the equaliser. And then that moment of sheer magic, inconceivable brilliance on the ball from from there. And you see that you've got Crooks and Archibald screaming for the pass that never comes, and he scores. And it was that's that thing it was meant to be. It was just yeah. that team had was a, a real Spurs side, wasn't it? Because it had. It, it lacked a bit of finesse in places. I mean, you would never say that Miller and Roberts were uh, cultivated defenders, but they were very, very effective defenders. Um, and it had Hoddle and Ardiles and Villa and Archibald and Crooks and the, the forgotten by some, but who never should be, Tony Garvin, who was such an important part of that team. Uh, obviously, you've got Perryman and Hutton. It was a, it was a, a fair old team that, you know, and it was, and, and under Birkinshaw, there was a sense that the club was, had found itself again. Yeah. He, you know, he'd gone down, he could have been sacked, he brought them Absolutely. back up, changed the team. Um, and you could see the growth and the emergence of a football side. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a memory none of us will forget. Uh, this is a lovely one, uh, your, your, your next memory. Uh, again, quite unusual pick. Oxford versus Spurs, 1987, uh, the 4-5-1 game when Pleat went with the formation for the first time. Um, and uh, just to remind you, uh, 
the I think, I think the whole game is on on on, on YouTube. Um, Alan and Waddle got a couple uh, here anyway. As the, the the found the winner from Clive Allen. Let's have a listen now. Perriman for Hoddle. Searching out and finding Waddle. Such accuracy then from Hoddle. Waddle in, and it's in from Clive Allen. Deflected in, certainly, but Allen will claim it. Seven and a half minutes into the final period of extra time. And Clive Allen has given Tottenham the lead. All set up in a glorious pass set from Hoddle. Chris Waddle then taking up the play, and as the cross comes in, it's Allen who's first to it, deflected on the way in, but that won't matter. Clive Allen has made it 2-1 for Tottenham. Why did you go with this one? What, what, what's your memory of that pleat side, which that season was a tremendous side? It was just, it's, it seemed such a different way of playing, and it was, there'd been a little bit of talk about it, but nobody really knew how it was going to work. And they turned up at Oxford, who were a decent team. And I think Oxford scored in the first minute. David Lieberthy, I think. I'm not sure. But I know we were a goal down. Um, and then suddenly I was sat, standing behind the goal. I think it's called the Beach Beach Road Terrace. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. Standing behind the goal with, with the mate I used to go with to the home games. Now, we'd been there the previous season uh, in the league. No, it was FA Cup, actually. A one-all draw in the FA Cup. Are you, are you still studying Oxford here at this, at this yeah, stage? Yeah, still there. Oh, so, this, so, think, so your local game? I, I think the... One of the at least the FA Cup tie. It was I went to I was studying, but it was in the summer holidays, the winter holidays. So we went, and I remember because in the replay of the previous year, Chris Waddle scored what he will tell you still is the greatest goal he ever scored, which didn't count for offside against I think it was Clive Allen, which was ridiculous. He went through the whole defence, and I saw the TV images of that, and behind the goal is two blokes in sheepskins, one brown and one grey. And that's me and my brother going absolutely ballistic at the uh, at the referee and Lyman for giving for disallowing the goal. Oh, that's a great, that's a great find. Um, and then the following season, they they go with Pleat in charge. They go there, and you come away thinking, "Wow, this is something new. This is different. This is this is going to be special." You just yeah. sensed there was something because the team had evolved. Because we hadn't started the season this way. It was just something that just happened, didn't it? He, needed, he wanted to change things up. And, you know, the, the team was evolving because you had uh, Richard Goff was playing the centre-half by then. You had um, Steve Hodge come into the team. I think the 12th man was Nico Klaassen that season. Klaassen, he was a very was, good player. Tremendous. Couldn't, couldn't get him in the team yeah. because of the way they were playing. And um, it was a sense that he'd found a way of getting all his best players on the pitch together. And he might not necessarily have liked them all, because obviously we knew that there were issues, that Glenn was looking elsewhere, uh, Clive was very happy, but others maybe weren't quite so happy with David. He'd obviously fallen out and got rid of Graham Roberts. Mm-hmm. I think also there was the, you know, they lost, um, did they lose Danny Thomas early that season as well? He was Might have been, yes, he got injured. Because yeah. Mitchell Thomas was left back, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, but they were just that you knew they were a little bit ropey at the back, but it was a team that sort of, in the way they played, it just said Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. That slightly cavalier, let's you know they score three, we'll score four, quite literally approach to football, which even then seemed a bit of a throwback. It seemed a bit too romantic, too idealistic. But you wanted to believe 
it could happen. Mm. It was such a shame that that side didn't win a trophy in that bizarre the Coventry, the Coventry Cup final. I was at college then, and sort of did I? Yeah, I was obviously at the game. Kind of I've immediately. I've, I've never watched it back. I've erased it from my memory. What well, it was the old the old thing we scored too early. Yeah, scored with the first attack. Yeah. Uh, the thing I always ever remember is that only half the players have the sponsor's logo on the that's kit. That's right, that's right. With a new new kit that was brought out. And um, again, with my brother, he was a jinx, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sat on the bench seats at Wembley. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. those days. I, yeah. I remember I got two tickets. I got one ticket from Spurs, and I, I gave it to a mate who was a Coventry fan who could then swap it for a Coventry ticket. And because another friend of mine, her father worked for cheshire county fa so she got he he got two tickets for which i could take for spurs for me and my brother um on the bench seats and it was just and even though it was a boiling hot horrible day and we lost and oh misery 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 but that's that's football you're, you're allowed to lose you aren't you don't have to you know if it was only about winning you'd only support one club in the world there'd be no point it's about going through the misery sometimes to experience the joy. God, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, you obviously just put around this period left Ox, uh, Oxford Uni. So when did you start? When did the road towards sport journalism happen? How, how did that path out, map out? My first job straight after university, within days of finishing finals, was on the a local free sheet in Oxford. And they sacked me after six months for trying to sack my own paper, <laughs> which was ambitious. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the following, I think a summer, uh, uh, three months playing golf and cricket every day, still living in Oxford, which is brilliant. So I played for various college teams and went out and played golf. That's really good fun. Uh, and then I needed a job desperately because I didn't have one. And I managed to get a job on the West Riding News Service up in, in Huddersfield, uh, run by two old fellas, uh, two fellas called Alan Cooper and Stan Solomon. It must have been a culture shock going from London to Oxford up to Huddersfield. It then. was very different. Very different indeed. <laughs> But brilliant fun. Uh, and they were fantastic old school journalists. Uh, and it was court and council during the week, rugby league and football at weekends. So Huddersfield wow. and Halifax had both had football clubs at that point and rugby league clubs. And I spent four years learning my trade. So on a, a Saturday afternoon, if it's Huddersfield versus Scunthorpe, between five o'clock and six o'clock, I'd have to do 12 different reports for the Sunday papers, different angles. For a different, so like be you know, 200 words from a Huddersfield angle, 150 words from a Scunthorpe angle, and do radio, uh, and then do some slightly longer pieces and get the quotes. Wow. And and I had about a, a, a 20 minute window to get the quotes because I had to go upstairs and file everything over the phone, point new paragraph, wow. and it old fashioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But and you obviously doing, loved it. You obviously loved, loved it. it. But I've been doing yeah. a similar thing. I'd walk out of the courtroom with my yeah. notebook, on my shortbread, and file my copy over the phone. From yeah, the courtroom. Yeah, yeah. So I got used to filing quickly and instantly. And I, and it was fantastic value. And after four years of that, I decided that whilst initially I got into journalism as a view to a, get into politics, to be honest, that was my my, my thinking. I, I didn't want to spend any longer knocking on doors asking for pictures of dead kids because mm. that's yeah, what you've yeah, got yeah. to do. And so yeah. rather than the only way you can do that is by not taking it too seriously and you're losing your humanity. But you, you're laughing about it, otherwise you couldn't do it. So I thought, I don't really want to do that. So what do I want to do? Well, why don't I do what I love and that's essentially frivolous and pretend it means something? And that's reporting on football. And so uh, in 93, I went to Leicester to work for uh, UK News, which is a fledgling 
agency serving the uh, about 30 odd uh, evening paper titles across the country. And uh, a chap called Rob King, who at the time was the chief football writer on the Press Association, saw me in action, including going up to Terry Venables' first official engagement as England manager. There was me, Rob King and Mike Hart from The Standard in the room at Lancaster Gate doing a, a pre-conference conference with him. Getting my, you know, asking my questions, getting it out, filing my copy. And Rob said to me, won't you come work for us at PA? And I did. That was 94. Uh, and that was the next four years I spent there. I, I was their northern football writer. And I had my patch. My patch was Birmingham to Newcastle on all points in between, including Merseyside. And so I was, I, I, I don't want to know how many times I nearly fell asleep driving on the M6, <laughs> on the M6, in the M62. At, oh, terrific. But exactly. I managed to survive. I didn't survive. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I love about this. This, this, your your next choice. Without a doubt, this pick will not come up in anyone else's top ten Tottenham. A dull draw, nineteen ninety four against Swindon. But for you, it was the first time you worked at White Hart Lane and sat in the press box. Bowden scored for Swindon. Dizel scored for us. October the twenty third, nineteen ninety three, and I even managed to find a bit of news footage of the goals. Here we are now. In a meeting of old friends, David Kerslake, once of Swindon, picked out Jason Dizel, and he finished delightfully. So, what was that? You're a Spurs fan. You said you've been working mainly up north, and now you're going down. You're paid now to go to White Hart Lane, where you would have paid to go anyway. Absolutely. And what's this like? I mean, not not the most uh, uh, illustrious of games. Well, it was really strange because at that point, the press room was a porter cabin in the car park. Right, right. That brief period. Yes. So, But it was like walking through those gates for the first time to watch a match that I wasn't paying to watch or wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a really strange experience. And it was, it was, I thought this is just incredible. You know, and I've, done, I've been to other games, obviously, but never at Spurs, never working at Tottenham. That was the first time. And realizing just how bad the view was from that press box and also how good <laughs> the view was from that press box because you had the manager literally in yeah, front of it. was the West End. It was like the front couple of rows of the West End, yeah. wasn't it? And, it yeah, was, yeah, and, yeah. and you yeah, see from there just how steep the camber was on the pitch. Mm. So it's so low, you couldn't see the far touch line That's right. because the pitch was so mm. so cambered, so humped. Um, and, you know, it was just, I'd done it, i cracked it. This, this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I'm not, you know, I, I'm covering Tottenham Hotspur. And and when, Dizel, when Dizel scored, did you, was there a little punch or, or not? I you think can't. I was quite restrained. I'd learned yeah. that part of yeah. it. <laughs> uh, not always, I have to say. Most of the time, I've, I've learned that part of it. Um, and it was a terrible game, and it was a terrible Spurs team. <laughs> we know that. But it was for me. It was. It was a moment that I rec- I realised I I was doing it for real. And there were, see, you know, there were some people there I recognised from the various newspapers. And if you told me that within a few years I would be not just working with them, but actually bizarrely um, senior to them yeah, in terms of my position in, yeah. in the hierarchy of, yeah. of football reporting. Yeah. I'd have never believed it. So, I mean, you rose from, from, from that period, you rose very quickly, didn't you? I, I did. I had a, it, it was you know, four years at PA and I did the last year or so as chief football writer when Rob moved on to the Daily Star, went to the mail 
in 98 as my first Fleet, Fleet Street job because uh, I've been back to London since 96. And within a year or so, I was acting chief football writer on the mail, mm. um, which was pretty rapid, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be honest. It came from nowhere. Yeah. And I just got lucky. I, I knew a few people and I've worked bloody hard. I there really, I really, yeah. really worked at it because I knew I had to and I had to get stories and I had to prove myself. And I, and that approach I had to the job has, has never really left me, actually. I, I always approach every day the same, same way. I'm going to try and get something new and fresh today. I'm going to try to do something. Um, but I also just love football. I always have. And I love, you know, I'm a Spurs fan, but I can recognise great players, even when they're wearing red shirts or whatever other shirts they're wearing. You know, a great player's a great player, no matter who he plays for. And I've been lucky enough to see some of the greatest players of the last 50 years in the flesh. Most of them, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to look at your final four. Top 10 Tottenham. And we're back from the break. Now, this one, interestingly, I don't know why it's not in more people's top 10 list. Probably because it wasn't the greatest games, but beating the Chelsea is always up there. You've gone for the Woodgate winner against Chelsea, a goal down, and, and as you said to me before, who'd, who, who'd known it? This would be our last trophy for more than a decade. Let's remind ourselves of that extra time winner from Jonathan Woodgate. Gina's playing it in. Woodgate! It's in for Tottenham! They've come from behind and Spurs lead Chelsea! Boy, Jonathan Woodgate is overdue a break in his career and he got a break in front of goal at Wembley. Quicker to the ball. Petrojek saw it coming. Woodgate got on the goal side of the Chelsea defence. Came back perhaps off Petrocek. Go down as a goalkeeping mistake, but bravery by Woodgate. Only saw the ball, only saw the ball. Comes back off Petrocek's hands onto his head and into the net. So why do you go with that one? I mean, it's interesting when you look at incredible Tottenham moments and winning finals. Ralph Coates, okay, he was there a while, but not a star player. Jonathan Woodgate, barely there. Alan Nilsson, uh, barely there. We still don't know about Lucas Moura yet and, and Ajax. Ricky Villa, you know, didn't have an illustrious career at Tottenham. It's funny, with we've always had 67 cup finals, Saul as well. Robertson went to Arsenal as well. It's amazing that the, the players that seem to have got key iconic goals have been... Like would get a bit of a journeyman player. Yeah, it is interesting in that regard. The, the reason I chose it as a as one of the moments is it's the only Tottenham trophy that I've reported on. Right. The only wow. one I've written the match report for. Wow. And I don't do match reports anymore, so it will always be the only yeah. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I, you know, I've moved on to a different different role, a different orbit now. Uh, basically, because they found people who actually do it rather than me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I. And it was, and also, I, I, I am very good friends with Avram Grant. Right. 
So it was, it was a the manager thing. then, wasn't it? Yeah, he was yeah. the Chelsea manager. Yeah. Um, and I've known Avram for pretty well. And we, whenever he's in London, we meet up. And um, he's, a, he's a really interesting fellow. He tells some incredible stories about his family uh, and the people he knows. I mean, you you would if if you looked at Avram Grant, you would not believe that his best mate in the world is Phil Jackson, the basketball coach. Yeah, why would you? also incredibly close to other football managers you'd imagine um but it was uh, a game we didn't play particularly well but we won and sometimes it's just about winning isn't it and at Wembley winning a trophy big underdogs weren't we that day yeah we were Chelsea were a good team let's be yeah, fair yeah, they, were, yeah. they did reach the Champions League final that year they were they and if they'd beaten Wigan at home they'd have won the league they lost by a, I think it was a two points or point actually for United, and they they battered Wigan in late the end of the season. And Emil Heskey scored an equaliser five minutes from time, and they drew one all and didn't win anything. And they were really, they, they, they were powerless. You argue with that Spurs team that should have won things under Pochettino. You know that that Chelsea team should have won things and didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that game that we were playing well, found ourselves a goal down, dropped a free kick. That's right, free kick, and then then we got the penalty. Uh, the, I remember, never forget the linesman because you don't see the linesman yeah. hold hold the flag against the chest, and like here we are, and then we had a great chance in was it in normal time Zakora of all yeah, players? Yeah, you can't, can't miss him. Does yeah, ran, ran through. We've had some players like that, you know, the Zakoras and the Freunds of this world, who despite playing in midfield cannot score goals, um, and a bit of a lucky goal. But I remember going out that night, going into Soho, going into the Groucho Club with some mates, and just it was a big. Big deal, yeah. and I can't believe that was our, our our last our last trophy. I mean, it's it's scandalous, it's really. It? It's you know, ridiculous. Yeah, that was the last one. You know, it's just utterly come. crazy. It's got to eventually. Well, yeah, I can't I can't see it happening next season, but I'm sure we can talk about that later. And then your next choice again, one that uh, I kind of forgotten about. We've had people talk about the Inter Milan, the two Gareth Bale games against Inter, the famous 4-3 at San Siro, then beating them, you know, the taxi for Mycon. But you've gone for the AC Milan game, which, if you remember, was a, a very nervy nil-nil draw uh, that put us through to the next round against Real Madrid in 2010. What made you, out of all these games, that was the one you went for? Because it was the sort of game where you'd expect Spurs to find a way to mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> Because they'd gone, they'd done the hard work. They'd gone over to Milan, one one nil. Crouchy scored, I think. Yes, he did. Yeah, uh, slightly scuffed it in. It didn't matter. Yeah. They played really well. There's a massive standout row between Gattuso and Joe Jordan, That's which right. is really good fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you come to the second leg and you think, right, well, they'll mess this up. And there was a goal line clearance from Gallas early in the first half, and you thought, well, they're going to score because we didn't look like scoring at any point in the game. Yeah. And then the longer it goes on, you think, well, nor do they, actually. <laughs> yeah. And just for Spurs to get a nil-nil to go through isn't a Spurs thing to do. Yeah. You Very expect true. some sort of ridiculous glory moment, and we'll come on to one of those later. Yeah. And I, But I do remember that because of the number of people in the UEFA rules, I ended up doing my match report, the second edition one, sat in the photographer's room. Wow. And the old photographer's room at White Hart Lane, had a load of quotes from Blanche Flower and Nicholson and others written around the right. book. Okay. And and I just wove that into my match report. Nice. 
because it just felt like this was extraordinary a, moment. We got a to moment. Quarter, was it quarterfinals. We got to the quarterfinals, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it was a massive game. We got to the quarterfinals yeah. of the champion of the of the European yeah. Cup in our first time, first time being in it. Yeah, that's real special big team territory. Now we all know what happened in the in the quarterfinal, but. They've beaten Inter and they've beaten AC Milan. That's two proper teams they've knocked out or, or beaten. You know, Inter were the defending champions, remember? They then knocked out Milan. That, you know, that's something special. And that helped hark back to those games in the 70s when they'd beaten those teams. Yes. With Perry right. scoring goals. And it was, it was that sort of sense mm. of the thread of history coming back and the club returning to what he wanted it to be. And I said yeah. those echoes of of Blanche Flower and Nicholson and the approach to the game were, were just there. Did you find professionally when you had to write your match reports on Tottenham? Maybe this was a one-off because of where you are and and the the, the the magnitude of the game. Did your language get a bit more flowery? Were you a bit more descriptive, or did you try and know this is the style? This is how I, you know, had to knock these reports out. Yeah. This is how it's done. I I love to use words, uh, even though I work, always work for a tabloid. I like to use my vocab and to try to I also believe when I was writing and it's just my view there was no point in me writing what had happened because everyone knew what had happened yeah especially nowadays so, when you can watch, yeah, every game. watch every game so I wanted to see why it happened and what it meant what the repercussions were and so for me it was about draw, drawing a picture painting a picture about the import of the game but at the same time, I always find myself being more critical of Spurs <laughs> to avoid being accused of being biased in their favour. Do you get people coming up to you going, you, oh, you're meant to be a Spurs and you slag oh, yourself too much? you meant to be a Spurs fan. I yeah. got that completely once, so I remember. Really? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I love David, he's brilliant. But, yeah. you know, you've got, I remember he wound wow. in the window and screamed at me. It was, oh, it was when, when Gross got sacked. Right. And oh, I just God. joined the mail and I got sent to the training ground and I waited around outside and I think we doorstep me Walker briefly. And Pleaty came out and he wound it down. Lipton, you're supposed to be a Spurs fan. <laughs> <laughs> but that was great because we could have that conversation. You know, we both laughed about it afterwards. And that's yeah. exactly what it's supposed to be like. You know, we, you, you yeah. can have disputes and they disappear because that's, that's proper people doing proper things. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's lovely. And then the one you've gone for now, which again was, has been brought up, and I'd love to get your your take on this and who you were with, presumably you were, you were working on it professionally. I don't know if you went with any of your family. The final game at White Hart, White Hart Lane against Man United, which people forget about the actual game, but we won the game 3-1, won it well. We were unbeaten under Pochettino at home that season. Uh, let's remind us ourselves of uh, uh, the, the, the goals. Ericsson with the corner, taking short. Davis picks a delivery. It's a decent ball as well. Ericsson drifted in all the way through. Spurs have doubled their lead. The hurricane peels away. Celebrating another goal. The free kick came in. Kane got the touch. He lost his man. Stuck out that foot. De Gea had no chance. 
And Spurs are heading for a second place finish in the Premier League. Why did you pick that one? Presumably not for the game, although it was a good game. But... It was the whole the whole afternoon. And it was always going to be the focus and the, the crescendo to the book as well. You were there, were you but you were there were you there so you were there working at the time on the actual I was game there, or um Simon Felstein, who we both know, and I've been badgering him, um, and he got me a seat among the legends. Oh, so well, I was lovely. Up in the main in the main stand. Yeah, so I was sitting. With, I used to sit. you know, sitting directly. I was next to. I think Leddy was there and Crouchy and all that. They were all around me wearing their blazers. But it was just an incredible experience and listening. There was a bit of nervousness. Because remember, we hadn't actually counted second until that game. Yes, the, yeah. the title had gone because Chelsea won on the Friday night. But it was like win the game to be absolutely nailed on second. And you thought, and this is a special, you know, can we go through a whole season undefeated at home, which had never happened in my, I mean, probably never happened before. And then the game was, they won the match and they played really good well in the first hour and then sort of got a bit nervous towards the end after Rooney scored, bring one back, but still won the game. So they were guaranteed second. And then there was everything else. There was the chaos of the immediate post-match. Mm. There Everyone was the rainbow, picks. which was it just... Right. Yeah. The great is whoever, whoever paid for that did a really yeah. good job. I think yeah. I, I, I think Paul Coit's claiming, claiming the credit, but I'm absolutely very well um, provided by Paul Coit. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the all the, the gospel choir and the the yeah. Kenneth Branagh video yeah. and everything else. It was just yeah. just wonderful. And I I remember I got on the bus from Seven Sisters, and there was a woman on the bus in her seventies wearing shirt and scarf, and everything. I said. A bit hot, yeah. I'm going to be far too hot, but I can't not wear my scarf today. It was that sort of thing that everyone was there. It's the only game in the history of the club, in the history of 118 years, where the game wasn't the important thing. Yeah, everything absolutely. else was absolutely any other absolutely. event. Every, every, everything else that happened at White Hart Lane, it was the match was the. the yeah, but the team could have choked because of that. The team could have easily choked, and none of us would have really minded. Really, no, the end it of the was day. about saying, and also we'd had that situation where West Ham had, had their farewell. Oh, shocking! Yeah, and this was different, different gravy. It really was. It was done properly. It was a beautiful, elegiac way. And I don't know anyone who was there who didn't shed a tear. Absolutely right. Absolutely and, um, right. Because it was part of your life disappearing. And I remember at the end of the game, I um, I walked to the end to look at the half or quarter built new stadium, which was just growing and circling the the end, uh, part lane. And I, I packed the road in and I just said to myself, I'm not going to come back until it's finished. I'm not going to come back and look at it while it's being built. I'm not I'm going to wait. Waited a bit longer than I anticipated. Obviously. Yeah, we all did. Yeah, but, as we all did. But it was it was a huge moment for me, and it was a way. It was I was saying goodbye to forty five years of my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm really glad that I was able to take my son to White Hart Lane when he was five six. So even though he'll spend his life watching him at the new ground. He at least can say, well, I went to the old one. I was there. Yeah, he might not have much there. of a memory of it, like but, your first game against Stoke. But he's got the pic I've got the picture in, in my book of him wearing his scarf outside yes. the ground. Yeah. He, we still talk about, you know, he, he saw 
what's his face? The useless Dutchman score a penalty against Leicester because he only Janssen. scored penalties, didn't he? Janssen. Uh, Janssen. He, so yeah. he said we were talking about it the other week. Like, that's what Janssen scored. He said, you know, he's eleven now. He remembers that. So that's the right. He can still remember that was five years ago, and he remembers that sort of four years ago. So he still remembers those games in there, and that's really important. I, I, I was really lucky that um, Premier League helped me get two tickets for the first game at the new stadium, and I could take him along. Yeah, that's so, it. My, my, was, my daughter, who's the same age, she's ten. Yeah, and it she was just, memories. just yeah. fantastic. And for him, and again, I was in bits then as well. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, me too. Me too. That's the frustrating thing about this club that we love. And I'm sure once we go through your picks, we'll, we'll talk very briefly about the current mess we're in. And then your last, what what I love here is, 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 is you just said one line to me when you sent me your list and you just sent me the line. Sometimes it's the journey that counts, not the final destination. And this, and you said, you, you've, you've, you know, the greatest moment of your sporting life that night in Amsterdam and we'll never ever even if every guest as long as I do this show has this same moment we'll never tire of listening to this little bit of audio Batista licked away Ben Davis with a tackle here's Son Sissoko here's Deli Alley. here's Lucas Moura oh they did it I cannot believe it Lucas Moura with the last kick of the game. The Ajax players collapse to the ground. Tottenham Hotspur are heading to the Champions League final with a goal that we just couldn't believe. (laughs) Jermaine Genus is speechless. Absolutely speechless. And so is everyone inside this stadium. I can't believe it, Flick. Referee's had a look at the watch. I don't know where he's getting the time from. Here's Sissoko. Get in the corner. Down he goes. The full-time whistle! It's glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur! In the most amazing Champions League semi-final that most of us have ever seen. Even Harry's ankle's looking all right all of a sudden. History made in Amsterdam by Mauricio Pochettino and his players. It's the greatest night in Europe for 35 years since the days of Huddle and Ardiles, and maybe the best of all time. It's what Champions League dreams are made of. It's a night these players and supporters will never forget. Tottenham Hotspur have come to the Netherlands and reached the promised land. They are, were you were you there or no, I mean, most I, people couldn't get tickets so this no, was a real tough with, one with, with, with Ollie and we were so bad in the first half in fact we were goal down before I even got down I went I went, yeah. up, went up to um, <laughs> wash my face or whatever we've been out and we were ready to go down like, oh, bloody hell <laughs> this ain't clever um, and we were shambolic weren't we for, yeah. for an hour yeah. Yeah. and there was no way back no way back and, um, and then they get one and then they get two and you're thinking bloody hell uh, and then Vertonghen hits the bar, yeah, and they still the they still miss chance after oh, chance. They, they, they missed a very good chance after that, didn't they? I remember, yeah. Um, and with a in the ninetieth minute, just after Vertonghen hits the bar, um, Ollie's watching, and in, with tears in his eyes, he says, "Oh, that's it. I'm going. I'm going to bed because they're not going to win this." 
and um this is really silly. <laughs> no, so there's a beautiful thing about this 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 show. We all get very very emotional. Remember these right. moments. Yeah, you know, but you should be proud of the way they played and they've done so well and they've gone so close. And he, he wasn't having any of it, and he he got to his bedroom mm. and more of a scored. So he missed he he missed the moment. He missed it, and I just started screaming, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. and. I was still screaming when he gets downstairs. And I'm still screaming two minutes later. And I've never known anything like it. Which is which is ridiculous, really, because I mean I'm I'm supposed to be this dispassionate professional um reserve, you know, everything everything you're supposed to be. I, I wasn't. I couldn't be. Well, you said you said you've you've given forty five minutes of your, you know. <laughs> Your time and energy to support and this, this even, football team. Even if, even if they'd won the final, it wouldn't have meant as much as that moment. Not the to moment. get to the final. Correct. Absolutely. I think many few people probably wouldn't agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Even if beating Liverpool 1-0 with, you know, Kane header or whatever. It would have been wonderful. Moment, it would have been fantastic. Yeah. Get into the final mm. was the moment. It was just being there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the. It was the thing. Do you think it's something to? Do you think it's something to do with this kind of thing? Doesn't happen to Tottenham. No, exactly. You're a Chelsea fan. You're, you're a United fan. And Arsenal, another last minute goal. Oh, we're a bit lucky. We got the last minute goal. This these moments don't happen. These particular moments, yes, we've got we've got late goals and all that, but these kind of moments don't happen to us. We were three nil down with forty five minutes to go. We were three nil down, you know, an aggregate. There's no way back. No team has ever come back from that deficit in that period of time in the history of Europe. Mm. That's how yeah. big it was. Uh, it was yeah. utterly inconceivable. Um, not away from home, anyhow. It just couldn't happen, and it did. And it was just remarkable. Uh, and it was my team. It was Spurs. It wasn't Liverpool or United or whoever. It was the team that doesn't do that. You Spurs, you can imagine losing from three up with 20 minutes to go. Not winning from three down with 20 minutes. To go. <laughs> Man City in the Cup in 2003 or whatever, yeah, three that, up at yeah, half-time. Well, against 10 men. Yeah. <laughs> against 10 men. That's but, right. Yeah, those things are up. <laughs> you know, just don't happen to Tottenham. It was just, just incredible. And... I'll never forget that moment. I just won't. No, no. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a love, love, lovely way to uh, talk about it. Well, look, we're going to chat a little bit further about this season uh, for people on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Spurs show. For now, Martin Lipson, thank you so much for your top 10 top. The Kings of White Hart Lane. Top 10 Tottenham. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.